0: The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. We're in Psalm 32 today. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you underneath a chair, Uh, close by you or directly underneath you is a chair Bible. We're on page 462 in the chair Bible. We'll be looking at Psalm 32 today. I'm going to invite you, if you would, to pray with me uh, as we prepare for the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that what we are now going to take up is your holy eternal word, that you have spoken clearly to us and you have spoken clearly to us in Psalm 32. So I pray that we would rightly divide the word today and that we would rightly apply the word to our hearts and lives. Speak to those who have gathered, regardless of who they are or where they came from or how they showed up here today or how they come to log on and to be a part of this through the internet. Lord, lead now and speak, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen. We are in the Christmas season, and it may be bothering you that in the last 10 years, maybe 15 years, we are now um, celebrating the holidays. Maybe that bugs you to the point. You used to bug me, used to drive me nuts, and I'd correct people in the stores. And here's what I came to realize. Here's what I came to realize. Now, this doesn't mean I'm giving in. I'm compromising. Here's what I came to realize. Christmas is really not on people's minds not. We've now moved into a post-Christian culture. People really are just thinking about the holidays. They're thinking about getting together with their family. They're thinking about giving gifts, having meals. They're not thinking about Christmas. So we're just going along like everything is okay. So I've been asking myself the question, how did we get there? Track with me here. We're part of the blame. Here's why. We lost sight along the way as Christians as to what Christmas was. Maybe you've totally lost it. You say, What are you getting at? Or you may be asking this question You're starting into a Christmas introduction to this sermon, and you're about to preach on Psalm 32. What does Psalm 32 have to do with Christmas? Glad you ask. To grasp the joy of Christmas, and Psalm 32 is about joy. To grasp the joy of Christmas, we must first grasp the need for Christmas. The angel came to Joseph. And said, this is Matthew 1, 21. Just write down the reference. He said, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's why. For he will save his people from their sins. So the need for Christmas has everything to do with sin. (laughs) Now I've really stepped into a postmodern subject that nobody wants to talk about. It's one thing to correct you and say, it's happy holidays. It's not Christmas. It's a whole nother thing to bring up the whole concept of sin. So this week I sat and pondered and discussed this in our preaching team. How would people in Gastonia or those listening from other parts of the country or the world, how would you define sin? So when I use the word sin, what is the meaning that's going on in your brain when I say it? So I got six things. Number one, sin's a made up religious idea. No such thing as sin. and Why you Christians are even talking about it. Number two, Sin equals evil. I don't commit evil. Therefore, I don't sin. This is rampant. Number three, I know I sin, but I like it. So this is people who've got some kind of religious background in their life. They know what they're doing is wrong, but they like it. Or they've got a warped theology. This is number four. It's very similar to number three. I know I sin, but I'm not worried about it because God's love. It's all covered. No problem. Number five. I know I sin and I'm miserable. I think about my sin all the time. Now here's the kind of background you likely grew up if that's you. You grew up where you heard Christianity like this. God's mad. Rotten sinner. We've Got a lot of people with it heaped up on their shoulders in this part of the country. Now, number six births out of number five. There's some of you in this room. My sin is so bad, it's unforgivable. And I've given up. I'm just doomed. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. From their sin. This morning, we come to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 begins with the word blessed. Joyful. Happy. Here are the blessed people. The blessed trust the Lord for forgiveness of sin and steadfast love. This is a mass skill. It means it's a teaching psalm. It's a penitent psalm. It's about repentance. Psalm 38, Psalm 51. There are also psalms of repentance. So we start in the first section, verses one through five, and here's what we see. The blessed trust in the Lord for forgiveness of sin. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now David's writing in poetic song here and he uses threes so your first three so if you're taking notes write these three down transgression sin iniquity transgression sin iniquity now there are other explanations in the bible of sin but here are three the first word transgression it means to willfully violate the law of god to rebel what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They transgressed. They willfully violated what God said. Sin. It's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. To be off center. Now this can be willful or unwillful. But you're slightly off. Iniquity. Iniquity means guilty. You're guilty because of rebellion and missing the mark. And look how the psalm starts. Blessed, happy are those whose, and then we're going to see the next three, whose transgression is what? Forgiven. The word forgiven means removed. Do you hear this? Happy is the one whose rebellion has been removed. Blessed is the one whose sin, who's missing the mark, is covered. It's covered over. It doesn't mean God's pretending it's not there. It means that the sin has been covered or concealed. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. So here's the third thing. He doesn't count. He literally, he keeps no iniquity. Record. He doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't hold a grudge. You know, the Liberty Mutual commercial. Doesn't hold a grudge. Until after you have your first accident. And then they're going to hold a grudge. Now listen. That speaks into how some of you live in your life. That God, once you ask for forgiveness one time, you, you sin Again. Then he's got a grudge against you. Brothers and sisters, this is a teaching to the believer. Now this is not an excuse to willfully continue in sin. That's evidence you're not a Christian. But when you sin, we seek forgiveness. And he counts not our iniquity against us. Now, there are two descriptors that are true of the the person who has been forgiven. Let's start with the one at the end in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now I started meditating on this and I started thinking, how is a person, a transgressor, a sinner, an in iniquity, guilty of sin and not deceitful? How is that possible? What does this mean? How does it mean in whose spirit there is no deceit? Thank God for the New Testament. This text is directly quoted in Romans chapter four. So let's go to Romans chapter four and we're gonna get our explanation of what this means that in whose spirit there is no deceit. So what is it that is going on inside the heart of the believer? So let's start with verse six. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So that means not only is when you're forgiven, he's not counting your sin against you. Here's what's counted to you, righteousness. And it's not the result of what you did. Not the result of your works. Then he quotes, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That's in the plural, not the singular. It's a little different. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, in whose spirit is no deceit is not here because it's explained in the context. Go back up to verse four and we're going to get it. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. Wages of sin is death. He's already told you that. And to the one who does not work, but what? Believes. In him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now you got to ask a question, faith, believing, what what are we believing? What are we believing in? Now this is where there's no deceit. Here's the deceitful thing going on in hearts in this room. It's those of you who think you can do something to win God's favor and to overcome your sin. You cannot. That's pride. You are self-deceiving yourself. If you think you haven't sinned, you are self-deceiving yourself. If you think you can earn your salvation, you're self-deceiving yourself. So what is it you believe? He clears it up at the end of the chapter. Turn the page. Oh, I have to. You may not have to. Verse 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for our hit. His sake alone, but for ours also, it will be counted to us who believe in Him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Here's what we believe. We believe there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. We believe that in Christ alone, who hung on the cross, that on the cross, Jesus became our propitiation. That means he bore the wrath of God on our behalf, that the wrath of God was poured out on him and that what is applied to us is the righteousness of Christ because he was the righteous sacrifice. He was able to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He died and was buried. And then it says he was raised from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. So let me say it simply and clearly. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the grave, you are still in your sin and without hope. The hope that we have is in the cross and in the resurrection. And by faith, we trust in Christ. And to those who trust... What is true of you, it's repeated twice, blessed are you, happy, joyful. Those who've been forgiven by Christ have stepped into the light. We are now joyful people. And this next stanza reveals, beginning in verse three, the consequences of holding on to sin and refusing to confess our sin and refusing to look to Christ For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. (laughs) One of my favorite Gastonia phrases is, Well, he's a good person. Just exactly what does that mean? (laughs) Every time somebody does something, they're arrested and they put their grandma on television. He's he's a good boy. Really? What, What do you mean by that exactly? On the surface, most of us look like pretty good people. But here's what's true when you hide your sin. It has a devastating effect on your life personally. When you hide it and you keep silent, Your bones are wasting away. Your vitality for life is wasting away. And then he says, through my groaning all day long. The word groaning means screaming. Now now get this image. I'm silent, but I'm screaming. I'm silent, but I'm screaming. And what do we do? What do we do with people in our society now who... Who, who are trapped in some form of difficulty, who, who have turned inward and are screaming inward. Here's what we do. We send them to therapy. Now, I'm not saying here, some of you have thought it's really righteous to be against therapy. That's not true. If, if therapy is handled according to the word of God, if, if it is used to help you understand who you are and that who you are at the core of who you are apart from Christ is you are a self-deceived sinner and that what you need to come to terms with is what is going on in your life and as long as you keep hiding that it's counterproductive you're working against yourself you're sinking deeper and deeper now verse 4 for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me; my strength was dried up, as by the heat of summer. Selah. You know me? Pause right here and think. There are some professing believers in this room right now who are living in sin, and God's hand is crushing you, and you know it. It's heavy. He is sovereign God; He will not relent. It's not because he's vindictive and mean and angry. He's a good father. He will not allow his children to continue in rebellion against him. He presses in. He allows the consequences, even brings the consequences to where your strength is dried up even by the heat of summer. And for you to continue to deny your sinfulness is to deny your need for forgiveness verse five. Oh, it breaks through here. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Did you notice he uses the three words again? Sin, transgression, iniquity. He's missed the mark. He's guilty of directly disobeying God. And the Lord has forgiven the guilt of his sin. He acknowledged it. He confessed it. He didn't hide it. Now turn with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Who is the truth in? It's in believers. So if you say, as a Christian, that you don't sin, you're lying. Who are you lying to? Yourself. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have sinned, we make him a liar and what? The word is not in us. Brothers and sisters, here's what's keeping you from the Bible. It's not because it's hard and it's not because you don't understand it. It's because it's like a searchlight to the soul. And when you break this Bible open, it reveals who you are. But more importantly, this Bible reveals who God is. And if all it does is reveal who you are, you're missing the point. It reveals who God is. And God is a forgiving God. He is a just and righteous God. And he is not going to ignore the sin in your life. But here's what we want to do. We open the Bible, we're convicted, so what do we do? We shut it and we run from it. His word is to bring us to the point of honesty to bring us to the point of confession that we don't make him a liar we get honest with ourselves and we acknowledge our sin so let's say law it's the next word in the text let's pause and reflect and let me ask you some questions am i hiding sin it won't be hidden for long it won't be Am I under the heavy hand of God Is he pressing on me? Here's the simple <clears throat> question Will you confess your sin? Will you? Will you do as David did and acknowledge your sin and not try to hide it? Confess your transgression to the Lord. And let's go to David's situation. He had sinned with Bathsheba and then tried to cover it and just mount it up. He went from an adulterer to a murderer. The prophet Nathan comes and tells him a parable. And the parable incites David and makes him angry. And says, the man guilty in that deserves to die. And Nathan brings home the parable and he points at David and says, you're the man. You're the man. So what David thought was hidden now comes into full light. And here's what David says. I have sinned against the Lord. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 you're wrong. That's not me. He doesn't say, yeah, you're right. I messed up. No, here's what he says. I have sinned against The Lord, brothers and sisters, confess your transgressions to the Lord and he will forgive the iniquity, the guilt of your sin. Now, the psalm turns. It turns. The blessed not only look to the Lord for forgiveness, they trust the Lord for steadfast love. Notice the first word in in verse six. Therefore, so as a result of receiving forgiveness, having confessed our sin, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. So here's what we know. This is an image of the great flood. The flood came as a result of the sin of mankind. Who was protected? The people who were in the what? The ark. Here's what he's saying. The rush of the great waters of the wrath of God are not going to reach the people of God. We are protected in Christ Jesus. Now, here's how we live our lives. Now we live prayerfully in this time. Verse seven: You are my a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Pause here and think. People are, every day are writing and talking. Man, things are getting worse. Are getting worse. Are getting worse hey, what are you going to do? Build a bunker and hide? Is that what the Bible calls you to do? No. The people of God stay on the mission of God until Jesus comes. That's who we are. But here's what we realize why we're on the mission of God. He's a hiding place for us and he preserves his people from trouble. That doesn't mean he keeps them from it. It means he He preserves them. He brings them through the trouble. He surrounds them with shouts of deliverance. Verse eight, now God is speaking directly. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will stay near you. Let's start at the end of this. So you're either going to seek what God has said in his word and learn how it is he would have you to live and obey it, or God's going to put the bit in your mouth. He's going to have his way in your life as a follower of Christ. Now, I think far more of you are living under the discipline of God than you realize. And here's how one of the ways you can discover that is are you seeking the Lord in his word and seeking to obey what he has revealed to you? If you're living outside of that, you can depend the bit and the bridle are coming. I used to have a horse that if you walked out into the field to catch her with the bit and bridle in your hand, she would run. In fact, she would run anyway. So this is literally what I would do. I would run the lead rope up through my jacket. And have the, the, the clasp in my hand. And I would walk out with an apple. And she'd walk up and begin to eat the apple. And then I would clip on to her. Now you say, what's the point? Here's the point. Those of you living in rebellion. Somebody's coming with an apple. You're going to get bit and bridle one way or the other. Some of you have become like Adam and Eve all over again where you've been deceived into something and you don't realize you're trapped again. Let's go back to the beginning. Seek the forgiveness of God. Acknowledge your sin. Confess it. Be set free. Then live as God's people. Look in John 15. I love what Jesus says here. John chapter 15. Greater love has this than no... No one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I <clears throat> call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus said repeatedly, come and what? Follow me. This is God's design for the Christian. He calls us friends. And here's what he has disclosed to his friends, what the father has revealed. I mean, Christians say to me, I really want to know God's will for my life. No, 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 preacher, you don't get it. I I want to know God's will for my life. Some of you are walking around here like like God's given dreams and visions in this cloud and man, is this rampant in this part of the country. Jesus told me, just be careful when you talk to me like that. That That doesn't win me. Unless you're quoting scripture to me, it doesn't win me over. The word is where Jesus has spoken. I don't need some extra word. This is enough to keep me for the rest of my life. I am a friend of Jesus, and He has revealed to me how I am to follow Him. So here it is I either follow Him or get the bit. That's what He's saying. Verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. <clears throat> in your margin, write Psalm 1. The conclusion of Psalm 1 is there are two ways. There's the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. There one way or the other. Thank you. He brought me some water. Whoops. Whoops. There's the way of the wicked and the way of the righteous. Here's what the way of the wicked can expect. Sorrow. There's so much sorrow in Gastonia. There's 600 churches on every corner. So much sorrow. There's an acute awareness of the things of God in this community still. But there's so much rebellion. There's so much transgression. And we wonder why there's so much sorrow. God said there would be. But the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon used this word picture. The wicked have a hive of wasp around them, but a swarm of bees is storing honey for the righteous. Which way you live in your life? One has an outcome of sorrow. One has an outcome of steadfast love. When you understand and trust the Lord for his forgiveness through Christ, and you trust that he has called you friend and that he has revealed to you his plan, his word for you and that you rest in his steadfast love and you trust and follow him, then here's what's gonna happen. You're gonna be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous. You're gonna shout for joy, all you upright in heart. So here's my question to you. Am I expressing joy from my heart Because of the Lord's gracious forgiveness and steadfast love. That because of the forgiveness given to me through Christ, and because His steadfast love is surrounding and He is teaching and leading me in the way that I should go, is that resulting in joy? I think some of you are functioning in your life as if you've been pardoned for a crime. And you've come back into the world, and your name is going to be tainted and your character ruined for the rest of your life. Here's what Christ has done He has forgiven you, He has set you free, He has given you a new family. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, we treat all who have come into this family like their family. This is one of the problems with. Christianity in the in the United States we expect people overnight to start acting like something that they were not two or three days ago or two or three years ago we are becoming like him we are following him and we got to receive people in to the family of God because we all share eternity in Christ and his amazing grace will bring us together joyfully rejoicing in him for all of time now, the Bible descri- describes this great feast, the marriage the, of the lamb, the wedding feast that's going to come. And until we celebrate that wedding feast with, you just can't imagine the joy of that party. Until we come to that, we celebrate a simple feast. It's very simple. And this feast reminds us of two things. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. That he lived a sinless life among us. And that he suffered and was broken on our behalf. So we're going to come in a moment and we're going to take bread. And we're going to do what Jesus said. As often as you receive this bread, you do it in remembrance of me. Then we're going to take up the cup. The cup, Jesus said, is the new covenant in my blood. What does the cup remind us of? That the blood of Christ has covered our sin. It's no longer counted against us. John's gospel does not begin with a birth narrative. John's gospel Begins this way. John the Baptist sees Jesus coming. Adult Jesus. And here's what he says to the crowd. Behold the Lamb of God. Who takes away the sins of the world. So brothers and sisters, this is what I've sought to do today. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That necessitates that you admit and confess your sin and that Christ alone has paid the penalty for your sin. So as we receive communion, it is for those only who are trusting in Christ as their Lord and Savior. All of us as Christ followers should pause before we receive today and search our hearts and confess our sin and receive from the table. Now there are others who gathered in here who are not Christians. Coming and receiving from this table will not save you. In fact, the Bible clearly says for you not to receive from the table. But what must you do? You must confess that you're a sinner in need of Christ, repent of your sin and believe that Jesus alone can save you. If that's the desire of your heart today, they're going to be counselors to my right and left over in these far corners on the, at the front row. They'll either have a red lanyard around them or a blue shirt, much like mine. Just approach one of them. They'll sit down and talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, men and women are going to fill the aisles in multiple locations And they're going to have a tray. It's going to have bread in the center and cups around it. After I say amen, you'll rise to your feet. And those who are trusting in Christ are welcome to come and to take the bread and the cup and return to your seat and be seated. Seek the Lord. And when you're prepared, you take from the table. Maybe you want to come here and kneel at the front. That's up to you. There'll be people close by you. If it gets really crowded in one section up in the balcony, look around. There are multiple people who'll be in that that aisle in the center among you. Here's my prayer for you. Come to this table with joy. You are the people of God who have been forgiven. Rejoice, O righteous. Shout for joy, you upright of heart. And once we have received, let us join together to sing to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come now before you And we give you thanks for your holy word, for speaking to us through your word. Now, Lord, I pray for the one who is weighted down by their sin. May they see that the only freedom, the only release is to lay that sin before the one who has taken it already, Christ the Lord. May they confess it and receive forgiveness. May they confess their need of you and receive forgiveness. And I pray now that a joyful people will come to the table, trusting and receiving what Christ has done and celebrating the joy of our salvation. Lead us now. May this bless you as you bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.